This is NAI Global's Diving Into Commercial Real Estate. Today's podcast is brought to you by Real Massive, commercial real estate's real time data provider and marketplace. NAI Global Professionals now have free. Yes, that's right. Free access to Real Massive DataQ, a property data platform with comprehensive data on 30 million U.S. commercial properties. Search for sale comps, identify on and off market deals, analyze market trends with data that is updated in real time. Analyze up to 250 data points per property and export data to Excel. Access DataQ for free for the rest of 2020. To learn more, sign up for your free account. Visit go.realmassive.com slash NAI. Again, that's go.realmassive.com slash NAI. Welcome, everybody, to Diving Into Commercial Real Estate, uh, NAI Global's podcast, the June 2020 edition. I'm Cliff Moskowitz, Executive Vice President of NAI Global. And uh, we have one of our favorite guests with us today, Andy Farman. Uh, Andy's the CEO of NAI Farman and the Farman Group, a leading full-service commercial real estate firm handling all facets of commercial real estate transactions, from property management and leasing to acquisition and dispositions. Andy's firm manages more than 25 million square feet of office, retail, and industrial space throughout the Midwest. He's been responsible for purchasing, repositioning, and developing over a billion dollars in commercial real estate. And he is a Michigan Wolverine. But uh, we're not all perfect, so we won't hold that against him today. Uh, welcome, Andy. Thanks for joining us. Well, Cliff, it's good to be here, and uh, we can't all be Wolverines, so uh, I understand. <laughs> but it is always great to be one. <laughs> Except during football season, but that's, we'll talk about that another day. Um, so the, the focus of today's podcast is we just wanted to, uh, given your um, intricate uh, knowledge of real estate from all these different aspects, running a brokerage firm and also uh, being a pretty significant private owner of real estate yourself, just wanted to get a pulse on you know what you see going on on the ground and uh, kind of what things look like going forward from where you're sitting. So perhaps uh, we should start with um, the lifeline of real estate, which is, of course, the income and the tenants paying rent. And would love to hear throughout your portfolio um, how how you're doing in terms of rent collection, um, if you're doing any lease workouts or modifications, what the process is for that, um, and just kind of where you stand on that. There's uh there's definitely some haves and haves nots, and there has been um, a lot of attention drawn to uh, the the retail space, and the retail space has definitely been the most challenging aspect of our portfolio to collect rent. Um, here at uh, NAI Farbman, we collect about $10 million in rent a month, uh, and we are averaging over $8 million, but less than $9 million. Uh, and it, it definitely uh, favors uh, the office and industrial sectors are, are, are definitely res- responding better, the tenants, uh, to paying rent. Uh, the commercial side has, uh, or the retail side has been has been difficult at a lot of properties, uh, specifically national chains and some um, and some mom and pop restaurants uh, have had a very very difficult time adapting to um, this 
uh, temporary shutdown and some of the new rules and regulations that is uh, heavily impairing the, the retail tenants. Um, but it is there is pain across the board and there is interconnectivity of tenants. Um, there are tenants that are medical related, uh, medical staffing related that are having a difficult time uh, making rent. And there are also, you know, travel agents and companies that are uh, associated with the travel industry that are having a difficult time. So uh, I would say that rent collections in general, we would say has been better than we had anticipated when we were sitting there looking uh, in April or May. Um, you know, the only person I really answer to is to my father and my dad uh, in his in his late age. Uh, he always says to me, did we collect the damn rent? Uh, and so uh, it's a very difficult answer um, when you have tenants that are not paying rent. So uh, we're probably all a little more aware of uh, our tenant base and our individual tenants and, and what they do for a living um, and are watching it at a, at a closer level. Uh, I can tell you that April was the best month uh, of the bunch. May was probably the worst of the bunch. And we think June is a little better than May. Um, and we also can tell you that we felt the PPP, uh, the PPP stimulus dollars that were being uh, put to work into the small businesses, you could feel it. Um, you could feel tenants getting funded and paying rent because rent was uh, one of the approved expenses that is going to be forgiven uh, through the SBA program. So um, I don't think it's, uh, it's, it's certainly not um, doomsday uh, in office or industrial and, and we, we don't do multifamily but we, we hear that is also collecting pretty well um, and it is obviously very tricky as it relates uh, to the retail piece. Well that's great that's actually better than I would think it sounds like uh, 80 plus percent uh, being collected um, that's that's uh, actually a pretty strong number just given what's been going on the last few months so that that's that's really good to hear um and you know you had mentioned office and i know you're concentrated in detroit but also you know outside around the midwest some urban some suburban there's been some talk of possibly you know a big bump in suburban office is that something you guys are looking at or where do you see opportunities coming through uh as we get into the the future of real estate uh, so when I started buying office buildings in the late 90s, uh, the most important question on our tenant interview when we were buying properties uh, was the question of asking the tenant where the CEO lives and where the CEO plays golf. And if the answer was uh, farther than 10 miles, you would figure that there would be a reason why the CEO would conveniently come up with an excuse at why this location no longer worked for them because they wanted to be closer to home. When you fast forward it to you know, 2019 and 2020, um, it, it was a complete opposite uh, of, that, of that trend and that the employer was traveling much farther than the employee. Um, and that really, that really was because we were in full employment and uh, employers were looking uh, to fill jobs with, you know, wanted uh, talent, intellectual talent that seemed to be uh, in city centers. Uh, so I, I think a lot of this is going to come down to uh, what the CEO 
and the other C-suite uh, folks decide they want uh, on the other side. So, and I think that uh, that this could be an excuse, and I and I don't, you know, I don't use that word lightly. It could be a reason uh, to push. Um, some of these companies that were traveling into city centers uh, to to move back to suburbs closer to uh, the C-suites so that the C-suites are, 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 have a shorter commute time. Um, but, and, and they will use things like safer, more spread out, um, better parking, uh, less expensive rents. And uh, obviously um, there's been a big discussion on density of population inside of buildings. Uh, and so we, we, we believe that that is going to make a, a change. So tenants are going to probably care more about how much space they're in and what the rents are because it you know all kind of goes into your occupancy costs. So uh, you know we could see a trend line that, that, that certainly pushes uh, to suburbia. Interesting. And um, I don't know have, have, if you've been, if there has been any new deal generation lately, but I'd be curious if tenants are um, requesting different uh, TIs in terms of space design and things like that. I'm not sure if we're far enough down the road to know that yet, but I'm not sure if the bench seating, packing everybody in an office, no enclosed offices, which was kind of the trend for a while, will continue. We'd love to hear your thoughts on that. So I can answer the question twofold. The first fold is, is that um, companies are making plans to going back into the office. We uh, we opened up our office uh, in um, mid-May. Uh, and so the state of Michigan lifted restrictions on uh, on construction management and real estate companies at that point. And so we had to be very thoughtful at how we were going to safeguard our tenants and safeguard ourselves. And, and we, we got to practice on ourselves because they, they, they uh, rightfully put us back to work to uh, live in our own environment. So um, in, in doing that, um, there were clear things that needed to be done. Uh, bathroom capacity was a big thing. Uh, vertical transportation is a big component of it. And then in-suite experience, um, you know, I didn't know what a sneeze guard was. I now uh, hear the word sneeze guard every day. I feel like if it were one of those games, like, a, you know, like you, you see a punch buggy or something, if someone punched me every time uh, the word sneeze guard went off, uh, I'd be black and blue all over because I hear it every day. Uh, but, you know, so there are ways in which we're, we're incorporating this. Uh, I, I do believe that bench seating is going to be a, a very difficult sell to employees that care about uh, their well-being, and certainly uh, until there's some sort of cure or vaccine, uh, but it may be even going into the future. I mean, we clearly um, have become a generation that washes our hands now. So that's a, you know, so there's some things here where we, we are definitely changing some habits. Uh, as it relates to new tenants, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting question. Uh, we have probably 50 active lease negotiations at any one time. Um, and I can tell you that uh, tenants are being thoughtful. Um, a lot of it is furniture related. Um, some of it is, you know, some of the trends that, that were in office uh, are definitely, are definitely going to be challenging uh, to come back to. So, 
Um, yeah, so we're seeing it across the board. We haven't seen an increased footprint yet. Uh, and that's, you know, that's been some prognosticating on some people is this idea that if we go back to uh, offices that look more like our parents than our offices, um, that we're going to need way more square footage because, you know, obviously the, the square footage per person of an old school law firm was, you know, 300 square feet per person. And, and, and now we're in this range of, uh, you know, 150 uh, square feet per person. I mean, something's got to give on that. And so. Um, so yeah, so I think uh, I think we're gonna we're gonna see we're gonna see that change, and uh, and we're already starting to see it. But most tenants right now are in survival mode, not long term focused, uh, not long term focused on you know on on, on where they on where they're headed. Mm-hmm. That's interesting, and um, you know, there's this big uh, seems like um, everyone thinks that because people are showing they can work virtually or, you know, maybe not travel and have zoom meetings that you know, that's going to be the future. I personally am not so sure that that is going to be a long-term thing, maybe some more flexibility, but I think there is, you know, still some benefit to face to face, whether it's uh, with your coworkers or certainly meetings with clients, that sort of thing. Curious on your outlook. Do you think, um, do you think these changes are permanent that people will be more virtual? Or do you think it will kind of go back to the way it was once, you know, something changes, whether it's a virus or a treatment or, or something else? Well, you know, it's an interesting question. And obviously, um, there's going to be some change. Um, the work from home uh, concept and the idea of work from anywhere concept from an employer perspective is an interesting one, right, which is. Uh, before you had to figure out an office that was close to uh, close proximity to a workforce that you could, you know, handle growth of your company, uh, creation of your company, and this idea that you know if you don't have a physical presence or a physical office that you could hire anywhere um, across the country or across the world to fill a skill set, uh, that's very appealing uh, for corporations. The reality is though that. While it sounds appealing, it's appealing when you're filling jobs, not when you're keeping jobs and keeping employee and keeping loyalty uh, and creating company culture. All these things that I think became very apparent uh, in in the newest of offices. So I, I don't think that it will be as dramatic. Um, you know, one thing that we've been we've been seeing is we've been seeing some of the cloud-based companies pushing this agenda, uh, and that. You know, that doesn't surprise me that Facebook, that Google, that Twitter uh, would want a world in which uh, everyone could work remotely because, you know, they're benefited uh, by that through some of their investments in in the cloud. So, you know, I think we're going to have to see some of this uh, come out and play um, and how it how it really how it really gets to resort. But I think when when you ask companies today. Uh, how the work from home experience is going, um, you get a very, very different answer depending on who, what what age group you ask. You know, if you're uh, a parent that has three and four year old kids that uh, that you're the daycare and the teacher, um, it's a very inefficient system. But if you're a you know an empty nester and you've got a you know beautiful home office, it's a probably a pretty nice way to to gain an hour a day of not commuting. Uh, 
But when you really aggregate uh, the efficiency, uh, most companies are still being efficient and can still run, but they're, they're not creating ingenuity. They're not the collaborative nature of ingenuity uh, in places uh, seems to be paramount and seems to be the reason for why offices will continue to exist. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with that. And also the learning and you know training of new employees as, as they come up. So I think that's going to be important face-to-face. Um, let's move over to the financing side of things, if you don't mind. Curious to hear um, you know, what you're seeing in the financial markets. Um, is financing available for new purchases? Are the banks overwhelmed with you know, the government programs and the PPP and more focused in that area? Or, or is there some, some debt out there that you can get for purchases? Well, that's a big question. Um, we have closed some transaction for um, for our clients over the last couple of months, so we do know that financing is available. Um, you know, to look at financing, you really have to talk about the four food groups, which are the banks being one component, the life insurance companies being one component, the securitization CMBS market being one component, and then this alternative lending, uh, mes lending, you know, groups that have been created. Um, since the last crisis, the unregulated, um, the unregulated CMBS, as I like to call them. Um, so it's across the board, it's different, right? So CMBS has, uh, has securitized um, two deals since um, kind of the shutdowns, uh, most of which were already in action and in place, but they did sell through the markets um, and spreads have widened, uh, but interest rates have lowered. So the actual cost of CMBS paper today is probably pretty consistent to where it was a year ago. Um, most people are saying that uh, 65 is the new 70 or 60 is the new 65, and that's obviously loan to value. And so, uh, and so you, you're seeing you're seeing the risk threshold come down a little bit, uh, but the paper will be available, and and there's a lot of incentives uh, to the whole entire market to keep to keep that industry going. Uh, the banks, as you mentioned, the banks are tired right now. The banks are tired because they have all these federal programs. I mean, you can't rush out these billions and billions of dollars without creating lots of red tape and converting a lot of your um, production people into, uh, into SBA experts, uh, into Main Street lending experts. So, um, I, you know, I think banks have their hands full for a moment. I think there's probably a pause button. Uh, the life companies are definitely still lending, um, and it's a great source of capital uh, that's out there. And then on the uh, alternative lenders, the um, some of the mortgage REITs and some of the um, and some of the private equity backed um, mes lenders are playing. Um, they're obviously you know charging more for their dollars today. So. Yes, it's not stopped like 08 and 09. It's very much alive, but it's it's uh, you know it's definitely coming down on the risk level and coming up on the on the price level. Certainly, the price uh, as as released the spread. In terms of um, you know underwriting properties, as you're looking at opportunities out there, I was just talking to. Uh, an appraiser buddy of mine, and you know, he was saying how they're planning to be very busy, but it's very challenging right now to do an appraisal of a property, um, just because you know 
transactions that occurred maybe three months ago are not uh, representative of what the market is now. And so comps, cap rates, all that's, you know, very difficult. So I'm sure, as always, you have a number of transactions you're looking at on your desk right now. Um, you know, what kinds of things are you looking for in terms of underwriting those deals? Are you looking more at just straight cash flow or um, how are you looking at those deals now? You know, it's it's an interesting question. Let's let's back up a sec. Let's let's focus on appraisal. So, if you go to get an appraisal today, the appraiser appraises as though it were three months ago, and then they put on an arbitrary COVID penalty. So they're saying, mm-hmm. hey, this this is where the property would have appraised uh, three months ago, and here's the percentage we think things have fallen just because you know, the public markets have fallen and there just hasn't been enough transactions. And that that's out there. Um, and obviously the REIT market, while the stock market has done quite well this year uh, compared to the, you know, the, the feeling of Main Street, the REIT markets have uh, have fallen dramatically. Um, you know, most have been uh, mid to high teens at close to 20% type uh, market cap losses. So um, so that piece of it, we we know the market is you know is marking to market those values on a daily basis uh certainly from an nav perspective so if someone comes to us today on properties you really have to make the question of is it is it tenants that are working is it um is it tenants that are paying rent i mean obviously the the place that uh is so showing the two places that are showing the most distress right now are hotels hospitality and and retail and those are much more difficult valuations uh, than it is to you know do a net present value of the perpetuity of some cash flow that would be associated with an office building or an industrial building you know so i i i think it really just depends on the real estate and the real estate type but you know if you bring an office building to us today we certainly can value it um, if you bring an industrial building we can certainly value it and, and come pretty close to kind of where things are going to trade the question's really uh, on these assets that have broken rent rolls, uh, broken collections uh, that, 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 are, that are, are much trickier, that there's a thought process of, you know, is this a development play? Is this an acquisition play? You know, how do we value this? So that's really where the, uh, where the art and the science meet uh, together. But, you know, for the most part, I would say that valuation isn't isn't a difficult piece on assets that are working and uh, we're we're coming off some pretty strong may jobs numbers unexpected you know given the circumstance uh what the uh quote-unquote experts were predicting so i guess the question everybody's been asking you know v-shaped recovery u-shaped recovery or something else um, what does Andy Farman think it looks like? <laughs> well, there are certainly people who get paid way more money for their opinions than me on this. Uh, I can tell you that uh, either way, we're going to be a buyer and a seller, so it really doesn't matter. Um, and it's just a matter of uh, you know how we adjust uh, towards those ups and downs. But I think I think if you were asking me on real estate, and do I think that there are going to be real opportunities as a real estate investor to you know, get quote unquote great buys. There absolutely will. Dislocation creates opportunities. Uh, and I believe that our entire NAI network will be able to 
you know, point buyers and sellers into a place that there's going to be transactions that that take place. Um, as it relates to, you know, whether the economy is going to come back, I mean, I wouldn't bet against America. And there are clearly some things that are, uh, there are clearly some good signs. Uh, as it relates to the unemployment numbers, I don't know, you know, what unemployment numbers I believe and don't believe anymore. Uh, they seem to change. Um, so, I, you know, I, I don't have a feeling on that. I do think that there is pent up demand uh, throughout this country of people that want to go out to eat, that want to travel, uh, that want to buy things. Um, you know, there's starting to be a scarcity on certain kinds of uh, hard assets that people like for their house, uh, that people want to entertain themselves, whether it's a boat, a car. I mean, all of these things we have are starting to become low in supply because uh, a lot of factories haven't been working or have been uh, temporarily paused. And so I think that there's going to be some snapback that will be that will be pretty significant. Um, you know, you don't put put four or five trillion dollars to work as a federal government and not see that come out the other side. So, you know, I'm 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 cautiously optimistic that it will be. Uh, better than uh, better than the doomsday scenarios uh, as far as the economy coming back, um, but probably not as good as uh, where the stock market feels today. That's great. All right, Andy. Well, it was uh, great to chat with you today. Thanks for coming on to NAI Global, diving into commercial real estate, our June 2020 edition. Um, let the folks out there know, uh, you know, how they can contact you in case they have any further questions or uh, have some real estate needs in the Midwest. Sounds great. Uh, you know, our website, www.farbman.com, is always a great place to find uh, properties we have listed, uh, contacts inside the company. And my email is always easy, afarbman at farbman.com. And, you know, it's really been uh, good talking with you. Stay safe and uh, productive. And let's uh, come out this the other side. Sounds good. Can't wait to uh, see you in person. And for anybody out there who's interested in uh, becoming a member of NAI Global, feel free to reach out to info at naiglobal.com. And you can also send an email if you have any other commercial real estate needs to info at naiglobal.com. <laughs>